Good morning, Terra Nova. Good morning. How are we doing? Are we awake? Are we alive? Good morning, everybody. All right, all right. Good to see you. So, I think it's a good idea to open up our Bibles and look at what God has for us this morning. We're going through the book of Matthew, and we are in chapter 15, verses 21 to 31. So, let's start by looking at his word. Slides are behind me if you need them, I think. Maybe. Maybe not. Here it goes. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. It's the word of the Lord. So I have a question for you, a private question, personal question, and then perhaps an interactive question. (laughs) So personal question, when is the last time that you asked God to do something that only God can do? When is the last time you asked God to do something in your life, in someone else's life, that only God could do. Let's have that in our minds. Now, here's an interactive question. So I, did a, I, did a, I read a book. It's a good thing. Reading is good. And I read this book called Miracles by Dr. Craig Keener. He's a New Testament professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. And he did a study. He pulled together a bunch of sources to get as many eyewitness accounts of miracles in 10 different countries, spanning across four continents, from South America, North America, Africa, and Asia. 10 countries, got a list of as many eyewitness, not just claims, but eyewitness claims of miraculous events. Blind people seeing instantly after being prayed for and stuff like that. So here's the interactive question. Out of the 10 countries, which I'll read them off for you, the US, Brazil, Chile, Guatemala, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, India, the Philippines, South Korea. Okay, those are 10 countries across the whole world, just 10 countries. How many, if you had to guess, eyewitness accounts of miracles have been recorded from just those 10 countries? Any guesses? Want to shout out? There was one brave soul last service that was like, that said a number. We got 500, 1,000. Okay, so the answer is, you got to wait until the end. All right. So I'm going to give you a little background of this, uh, of the passage today. 
So if you remember last week, the question was, do, does tradition take priority over commandments? And Jesus gave a resounding no. You're, in fact, the Jewish leaders created traditions that actually went against and prohibited them from from following some of God's commands, such as honoring your father and mother. And we talked about that last week. So when it says in verse 21, Jesus withdrew from there, he withdrew away from this confrontation with the Pharisees, and he goes into Tyre and Sidon. So back in all the way back, thousand years earlier, 1 Kings 17, you have this prophet named Elijah. And God, in judgment, took Elijah away from his people, the Israelites, took his word away for the time being, and Elijah went into the same region of Tyre and Sidon, and he heals a widow and her son. Now we have Jesus leaving, departing, withdrawing from the Israelites, the Jewish leaders, to go and to bless a Canaanite woman and her daughter in that same region of Tyre and Sidon. So that's a little bit of background context for us. Here's the main idea of the passage. In humility and hope, we can approach the healer of all. In humility and hope, we approach the healer of all. So two points. First, we're going to look at the healer of this Canaanite woman and her daughter and how she approaches him in humility and hope. Secondly, we're going to see he's not just the healer of this person and her daughter, but of everybody, the healer of all, verses 29 to 31. So first, the healer of this Canaanite woman and her daughter in verses 22 to 28, we're going to first look at her hopeless circumstances, and then we're going to look at her stance of humility and hope before him. So what are her hopeless circumstances? Let's look at it again in verses 22 to 23. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So, her circumstances are quite hopeless. She knew it was stacked against her. First of all, look at her situation. She has a daughter, doesn't say the age, doesn't really matter, she's a young daughter. And she's being oppressed by a demon. What do you do about that? It doesn't matter. She could have been the strongest person on earth physically. You are helpless against a supernatural being like that. She could have been the smartest person on the planet, read the most books and did the most study. It wouldn't matter against an enemy like that. And she knew it. She was hopeless. Okay, so there's that. Now, how about what else was, what was against her? Her ethnicity. She's a Canaanite woman. She's not a Jewish person. And she's approaching a group of Jewish people, including Jesus. And Canaan and Israel have had not great relationships historically and at that time as well. And so her ethnicity is against her. Her situation is against her. Her sex is against her. She's female at a time where females had virtually no rights. And so she's approaching a group of men, okay? Situation against her with her daughter being oppressed by a demon that she has no control over to do anything. Her ethnicity is against her. Her sex is against her. The disciples are against her. Look at verse 23. It says, They begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. I didn't notice the begged him. That came up in, in tribe, these small groups, life groups that we have that I 
love very much my group. And they brought this up. They said, did you notice it says begged him to leave? Not just asked him, send her away. They were pleading with him. Jesus, can we please get rid of this woman that's following us and crying out after us? Just get rid of her. So they're against her. And on top of all of that, and maybe worst of all, it seemed as if, it seemed as if Jesus in that moment was against her. When she approaches Jesus, apart from all these hindrances and things that would be seen as obstacles for her, and she goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, my daughter is being oppressed by a demon. What does Jesus do? Verse 23. He did not answer her a word. I just want to, I want to press into this for a second. She's not going to ask Jesus about where she could go for lunch that day. She's not going to talk to Jesus about how she sprained her ankle minorly. Sprained ankles are no fun, okay? But something that's not a huge... She's going to Jesus in dire circumstances. My daughter is being oppressed by a demon. It's huge. It's monumental. Jesus, will you help me? And what's the response? It's like she's talking to a wall. He doesn't say a word. Has anyone been there before? You got something going on in your life, and you think, okay, now I need you, Jesus. And you pray, and you talk to him, and it seems as if he's not listening. Anybody? Come on, anybody? Yes, I've been there multiple times. Seems like he doesn't care. It seems like he's not listening. It seems like he's not going to respond. What do we do in those circumstances? What do we do when it feels like he's not listening or he doesn't care or we're talking to a wall? What do we do? Well, what does she do? She didn't stop. Despite all of these hindrances, she pressed in to Jesus. That's what we do. Here's probably, if you forget everything, everything. Don't forget this one sentence. I think this is the most important part of the, the message and this, this text here. Here it is. His silence was not to squash her faith, but to develop it. Please get that. His silence was not to squash her. It was not to push her away. It was not to, to hurt her faith. It was to develop it. It was to make her stronger. It was to get her to press in more, to ask more fervently, to grow her spiritual muscles. Do you know that we all have spiritual muscles? All of us. We have physical muscles, and we can see with our eyes which ones are bigger than which and who's strong and who's not physically, and that can be of some value, the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, it's, it can be important, it's important. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Jesus wants to strengthen our spiritual muscles. He wants us to grow in faith. How do you grow regular muscles? How do you do that? Resistance, working out, yeah, right? Persistency, persistency of doing that, taking the time. You, you push something that you think you're not even strong enough to do, but you push through it. Resistance, pressure, consistency, effort. Same with spiritual muscles. It needs resistance. Hindrances, ways in which God grows our faith. He doesn't want to squash it. He wants to grow it, grow our spiritual muscles. Hindrances didn't stop her. She pressed in. She believed that his power and his mercy would reach her. And she was right. 
How did she do it? How did she press into Jesus more? Was it with demands? Did she tower over, try to tower over him and just yell and out of pride say, you need to do that? No. It was in humility and it was in hope. First, in humility. She gets on her knees before him, calls him master, says even the dogs eat the crumbs <clears throat> that fall off their master's table. In humility, she gets on her knees. Now, I talk a lot about posture for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one is back pain, and it's like, I just don't want other people to experience that and just have good posture now, especially when you're young and maybe you won't have much, as much pain later. However, so posture is a good thing. Having good posture is great. It can be a sign of, of dignity, of confidence, of, you know, the military, they're going to have great posture. You're not going to see the Queen of England slouching. Good posture is a good thing, okay? But this kind of posture that we're talking about, the kind of posture God's, God wants for us, is a heart posture of humility. And that's what this Canaanite woman presents, a heart that was kneeling before God. We can walk around all day with great posture, all the while our hearts are kneeling to Jesus the King. She is humble and she prays, not, Lord, you must do this for me. She says, Lord, help me. There it is. That simple, beautiful prayer. You ever prayed like that? Lord, help me. He knows, it said earlier in Matthew, that he knows what we need before we ask. He said earlier, you don't have to pray like other people that pray with the lengthy, eloquent kind of speech kind of prayer to think you're impressing God or twisting his arm to get what you want. You can pray simply what you know and what you feel. You can tell him, Lord, help me. Simple, beautiful. She acknowledges her insufficiency and her need, and she says simply, Lord, help me. She was humble. Don't let pride get in the way of watching what God can do in your life, in the lives of people around you. We can easily get to that point where we think, no, I can take care of it myself. I can do it myself. I don't need him. I don't need anybody else. And if we do that, we might miss some of the things God wants to do in our lives and the people around us. She was humble. That was her posture. Also, she was hopeful. Jesus said, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If you remember back in Matthew 10, he sent out the 12 disciples. He said, don't go to the Gentiles, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's time to first reach the Jewish people. He even calls her a dog in this, in this text, which can seem a bit confusing to us. It's a term that had to do with being unclean, not following the Mosaic covenant. Jesus was making very clear, which she understood fully, she's not a Jewish person, and he came first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, everybody else, he was going to fulfill all the promises he made to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel. So all the way back to the patriarchs, to Moses, to David, the Davidic covenant, these promises he made to the nation would be fulfilled. Then his word would spread to the whole world. When she called him Lord, son of David in verse 22, that didn't make her a Jewish person. And she acknowledges that, but with hope that his love and his mercy would reach beyond just that nation, which, spoiler alert, was always part of the plan. All the way back from when he spoke to Abraham, he said he would bless him, make his name great, and through his descendants, all the world, all families, all nations of the world would be blessed, and that is fulfilled in himself, in Jesus. She was right to ask. 
she was right to believe that his power and his mercy would extend beyond just that land and people. She was right. Her faith was strong, which is exactly what he says. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. You know, there's only one other time that Jesus said, great is your faith, and it was to another Gentile, another non-Jewish person, a Roman centurion, back in Matthew chapter 8. And when he said to the centurion, great is your faith, he healed the centurion's servant from a distance. And now to this Canaanite woman, this this non-Jewish person, heals her daughter from a distance. And I think something this is trying to tell us is that distance, that gap between the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, and God was going to be met, was going to be reached, and that God's plan always and is to reach people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Great is your faith. She comes to him in humility and with hope, and she approaches the healer, not just of her, her daughter, the Jews, but to all people, the healer of all. Look at verses 29 to 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. He sits down by the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd approaches him. Question for you. And this, as I was thinking about this, I thought, this might be a question that you don't think about that really hits you 10 years from now, if the Lord gives us 10 years, 15 years, I don't know. But here's the question, personal question. How many people are going to go to God because of what they've seen in your life? Because in reading this, I thought, how many people just saw or heard about this Canaanite woman and her encounter with Jesus, and now they want to go to Jesus and bring people they know to Jesus? How many people in our own lives are going to go see the king because of something God has been working in us? Who will do that? The crowd wanders. They were in astonishment at, at Jesus and what he was capable of doing. Please imagine this scene. There's blind people, mute people, deaf people, crippled people, and they're being healed. And they're celebrating. Can you imagine the kind of celebrate? There's so many kind of phony parties people put on where it's just kind of like trying to pretend to be happy and all this stuff. Can you imagine the just sheer excitement and joy of people that are seeing maybe for the first time? (laughs) Which, by the way, are probably things I know that I take for granted uh, far too easily. Jesus is restoring wholeness to people. That's what he does. I don't know what kind of ideas you have about heaven and when you think about the glimpse of eternity, what it's going to be like. Let's go to the scripture for those things. And this is one of those glimpses. The king is revealing his kingdom by healing, by making people whole. It's what he does. And people are celebrating with Jesus and with each other. Not pretend, just authentic joy, celebration. God making people whole. And you know what? Something else. We have ways in which, and maybe you've been praying for a long time, Lord, can you please make me whole in this one area? Can you heal this ailment that I have or this person that I really care about and they've been suffering and they've been suffering? Can you please heal them? We have all these thoughts of ways in which we we know we and other people are suffering, but I want to tell you, 
there are ways in which we are experiencing suffering in this life that we don't yet understand, and he's going to heal that too. I don't even know exactly what I mean by that. But it's going to happen. There are ways in which we experience pain and suffering in this life that we can't even put our finger on, but God will heal that too. He's going to make us whole. It's what the word shalom means, peace, wholeness. It's what he does. He's restoring the world, and he's restoring mankind, his people, to himself. Imagine the joy here, this glimpse into heaven. And you know what? God's not done working in this way. God's not done intervening individually in the lives of people. This Canaanite woman, this is not just a historical event that happened one time a very long time ago and we put it in a history book and that's it. This is a living, breathing word of God and God is as active then as he is now, working in people's lives. Now, that study I mentioned, (laughs) Dr. Craig Keener, how many eyewitness miracles from these 10 countries of Brazil and the U.S. and Chile, Guatemala, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, India, the Philippines, South Korea. How many eyewitness accounts of miracles would we guess have occurred in just those 10 countries on our massive globe? And there were some guesses, and nobody was anywhere near close. I'm not surprised, because I would have guessed something like that, too. You know what the answer is? About 200 million eyewitness accounts of God doing things that we can't do, of people that were blind that were prayed for and are healed, of people that are crippled that walk, of people, all these kinds of different stories of people. Over 200 million. You know, I felt pretty small when I read that in this book of what God's doing. Because I base so much of what I, how I perceive reality and the things that happen on my small, limited experience. Do you do that? When I read some of these things in the Bible and how God works, it's easy for me at times to think, okay, well, that was just, that was just then. It's not now. And so I don't always ask. I don't ask. Now, look, there's two sides to the pendulum. There always is, almost always. There's this side where people don't ask. And to be honest, I think most of us are closer over here. We don't ask. And it says over and over again, he says, ask, ask. Ask and you will receive. Ask and if it's according to the will of God, it will happen for you. Knock, approach, seek. All those, ask. We don't ask. There's, this side of the pendulum is never ask. Then there's the other side where we say, Lord, if I just pray with enough faith, it will definitely happen just the way I think it should and in my timing and he can do anything and so if I just pray with enough faith, it's definitely gonna happen. When we forget about God's timing, the fact that we're not God, the fact that it might be no or it might be wait. And we get here, and I've met too many people that were here, and then they're bitter when it doesn't happen the way they think it should. I don't want us to be on either sides of the pendulum. I want us to be right here, believing God can do anything. And we're not seeking just miraculous events. We're seeking the face of God first. What do we want? We want Jesus himself, the king. And we believe that he's capable of accomplishing anything. And you know what the greatest miracle of all is? It's not any of those things. It's God changing the human heart. Has he done that for any of us here? (laughs) Changing a rebel heart from saying, I'm going to live the way I want to live, my timing, and figure out life on my own. That's the greatest sin of all. Do you know how much pride is in that? I'm going to do life my way. The greatest miracle of all of God taking that heart and changing it and saying, now you're going to love me. 
and my kingdom. And and now you're going to know why you're here, your purpose. And you're going to be able to love people outside of just yourself and your selfish motives. And you're going to know where you're going. And there's going to be purpose and meaning and excitement, true, authentic joy in your life. The kind of hope, peace, joy, and love that only God can give. That's the greatest miracle of all. And that's what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he gave his life for us. When with that song we just sang, that new one about I'm getting more than I've earned, than I've deserved. Oh yeah, better believe that. Inheritors of it all. Now that's good news. Now I'm going to pray for us and we're going to take communion and we're going to celebrate Jesus living and dying in our place and rising again for us. Let's pray. God, we're, we're grateful. Grateful for your word. Grateful, God, that we can step outside maybe just of our limited experience of thinking that that somehow is the end-all, be-all, but being taught by your word. Being taught about reality, about what you're doing, about who you are, about how you work in our lives and the people's lives, lives around us and around this whole globe, God. God, I pray that we would be people that come to you and ask you to do things that only you can do. And God, to not be bitter if it doesn't happen the way we think it should or the timing that we think it should, but Lord, to come in humility and hope like that Canaanite woman. God, there's going to be hindrances, there's going to be things that make us want to stop. May we press in like she did. May we have great faith like she did. God, we need you for that. Even to mature in this faith and following after you, we need you. We need you to grow our spiritual muscles, our faith, God. We can't do that in ourselves. We're as powerless as she was against that demonic force. We need your spirit. We need you, God. And again, Lord, we're grateful for you doing what we never could, dying for our mistakes, rising again. We praise you, King. King Jesus. Amen.